Ooh. A long last, welcome to the second episode of the Ride It Out show. Yeah, when I came up with the concept for Ride Resilience um, about four years ago, I thought, this has got the potential to go pretty big, pretty quickly. And I need to be careful because I've got a day job. I've got a young family. I don't want to just um, be there focusing on that all the time. And, um, you know, now I've got a little bit more time on my hands. Um, yeah, I'm probably doing more than full-time hours working on this project. And um, a bit later on after our uh, today's guest, we will have a little chat about you know ways that potentially people might be able to to help out it's going to be a kind of like a world war ii cry for i need you um coming up on social media and also through this channel um i think it's very important that uh, we build a legacy it's not just all resting on my shoulders and we've got a team around me so that's starting to get built up but there's a lot of people um, who've already reached out and, and genuinely i've not been able to get back to them um, that actually includes people who've submitted their incredible stories. And, you know, I've always been kind of encouraging folk to do that because it's such a, a community driven project. This, you know, sharing your story is really, really important. And uh, I just wanted to use this opportunity to say I genuinely have been reading them all, been really touched by some of the stories. Heck, some of your stories make me feel like I've I've literally just had a walk in the park, to be honest, and uh, and kind of put me to shame. Um, but uh, what I'm really guilty of is that I've not been able to get back to everyone. Now it's time to introduce our second guest. Um, I couldn't not make it Andy McKenna. You know, when we loop back to the first Ride It Out episode, it was obviously Martin Ashton, you know, big name in the world of cycling and in the world of mountain biking particularly. But Andy McKenna um, was probably the biggest um, in, I don't know if this is a word, but inspirer, but the guy who inspired me the most um, to pick up my bike again following my diagnosis, um, given his struggles with multiple sclerosis himself, and the fact that actually, you know, it's an incurable disease. So in many ways, we were very, very connected. Um, obviously, Andy's condition has also evolved over the last five years, and uh, we weren't sure if we were able, if we were even going to be able to to meet because he'd also had some. Uh, ups and downs in the weeks prior to us us meeting but uh, lo and behold it all worked out um, I went to Clovenfords where um, where Andy's based and uh, we spent a cracking day together just chewing the fat um, talking about all sorts you know that kind of affects our lives but um, but fundamentally we got out for a little spin as well which was which was the tonic that we were both after so it was nice to sort of share that experience even though it was absolutely biblical towards the end of it and we got completely, completely soaked to the skin, um, it was just super nice to get out. Now, a bit of a funny anecdote for you. Um, you'll see the beginning of this video, I'm there sort of stoking his fire in his shed and um, I'd been on a pretty high dose of, uh, of steroids in the lead up to it, so I basically, I'd, I'd barely slept the night before and uh, I'm in this sort of like state of flux, like semi-dream state. The trouble is with heat, it's um, it's Andy's kryptonite. So the more I'm kind of like adding fuel to the fire, the more he he's starting to struggle with MS symptoms. And you can sort of tell when, when we're interviewing that some of his 
words are a little bit more slurred than they perhaps normally might be. You can tell that his mind is not as sharp as it perhaps is. And as the interview progresses, it's becoming more and more talkative again as the fire sort of dies down. So I do apologise if um, there is a little bit of a, um, you know, some sections where we feel like both of us are not really making sense and we're slurring our words. There are medical reasons behind this. But nevertheless, I think the interview is still really, really poignant. Um, it covers, you know, Andy's journey, where he's come from, um, and actually also how he has managed to, you know, do a lot, a lot of good stuff without relying on traditional medication that you'd get through through the NHS for his condition, um, which I think is, um, yeah, an incredibly important message because for him, you know, genuinely riding bikes and getting out, stress management and using a more holistic approach has allowed him to live an incredible, um, an incredible um, life given his, his condition so far. And, um, and you just don't know how different it would have been if he'd been on traditional medicine with all the side effects that come with it. So yeah, without further ado, here's the interview between Andy and myself. Andy, we've come to your place here in Cloverford, in Scottish Borders. We're in your boffy, if I can call it that. You know, you kind of converted a workshop. Thanks a lot for having us. This is the first episode where I've actually gone out and met somebody for Rider Resilience in the Flesh um, to do this interview. We'll go out for a bit of a ride later, which is exactly the kind of concept that we want to kind of start embellishing. Um, but I kind of wanted to paint the picture why I chose you as one of the first people to come and interview because... You probably don't know it, but you've been this incredibly inspirational character to me in my journey. And it kind of dates back to, I think it was 2017, Kennel Mountain Festival. And it was you and Martin Ashton. We were at the festival and you just launched um, This Way Up, the film. Um, and it was premiered then, perhaps. I can't remember the details. But I just started chemotherapy uh, probably about three months prior to that. I was in a world of bother. Put my bike away and thought i can't i can't face this i can't ride bikes at the moment i just couldn't fathom the mind space and i went to kendall mountain festival and um you were there you know showing how actually despite your diagnosis and frankly being in very little control of your bike at times we're able to get out and you were just beaming you were absolutely you could tell that getting out on your bike made you live and i thought i came away and I was completely inspired and I thought, you know what, those guys are not letting their diagnosis, their condition depict what they can and can't do. I'm, uh, I'm going to go after that. I'm going to go and do the same thing. And the following weekend, I picked up my bike and hand on heart, I can genuinely say, um, I think if it wasn't for that move and starting to ride bikes again, I'm not sure if I'd been here, if I'd be here today, it's kind of given me that much. So... For me to come and chat to you about that today, you know, absolutely means a lot. But I know we've chatted before. We've obviously got a blog up on the uh, the Rider Resilience page already. And I kind of wanted to dig a little bit deeper into some of the kind of thoughts that you might have had when you got diagnosed and how you kind of dealt with that, really. So to me, obviously, Andy McKenna, well-known industry character. You've, you've been around for years. You've got this amazing guiding business that you've built up. But for people who perhaps come from outside of the industry, it might be worth just explaining where you've come from before that and then what led you to setting up Go Air Scotland and also like how the diagnosis kind of mixed into that as well. Well thanks for thanks for being here and uh, thanks for that very generous introduction. <laughs> it's um so 
what what can I say? Um, a little bit more background on. I mean, I've been I've been mad for mountain bikes since since I was a kid. Um, well, mad for bikes full stop um, since I was wee, and um, I was always a real trier, but I was never I never had the skill set. I was always into BMX as a as a as a youngster, and I throw myself off everything and anything, and usually land on my head and fast track to accident and emergency. Um, yeah, I was no no stranger to getting stitched up and uh, getting gravel rash removed uh, from my thighs and my bum. With a stiff brush. With a stiff brush. Um, so when mountain bikes came along, that was a real, you know, that was a, a, a real revelation for me. That was, uh, I was back in the, the mid 80s actually. And, um, I thought, oh, I want a, I want a bit of that, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's something that um, has been a real staple for me um, for decades. Um, so it's just a, it's fascinating to see the way the sports evolved and Absolutely. developed, and and to um, to never have really lost the bug. So then, obviously, you've been huge into into mountain biking. Um, that's been a big, big part of your life. Your diagnosis happened when you were not a mountain bike guy. You'd not set up what you'd intended to do. What were you doing at the time then? Um, I was I was a rider just as a hobby, um, but I worked in in marketing and copywriting and higher education marketing, um, shirt, tie, you know. Um, I kind of semi-proper job I guess and um, always kind of felt like a bit of a square square peg round hole um, um, it was definitely not a, a passion of mine um, um, and the organisation that I used to work for they were getting restructured and I thought mm, maybe there's a wee opportunity here um, and uh, I managed to take a bit of a severance package with a view to setting up, you know, breaking all the cardinal rules. Don't make your don't make your passion, your hobby, a career. <laughs> but rules are there to be broken sometimes, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, so that was kind of the start of it. And then am I right in thinking that that was actually that happened prior to being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or was it it was kind of bizarrely kind of around about the same time the the opportunity was there and it kind of came at a time that all sorts of weird stuff was happening with me health wise and um it, it, it took several years after that um before they actually gave it a name and gave it a label because I think the the criteria for di diagnosing MS now is slightly different from back then. Um, you you need to have certain kinds of symptoms within certain time frames, certain frequency and time frame before they would give it a name. So for two years, I was just experiencing lots of random weird stuff um, um, and really looking for answers. And, um, you know, multiple sclerosis had been referenced as a, as a potential. So, ironically, um, it was kind of a catalyst to go, 
I've only got one go at this life and I've got an opportunity to to shape it my way and and make it fit me um or I could have just kept taking the taking the salary and stayed in a job yeah. that I didn't didn't altogether love um so I took the latter um which is ironic because I now appreciate that stress and anxiety is 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 a real trigger for MS symptoms and flare-ups which is unavoidable when you're self-employed um but it's also given me the flexibility and the latitude to kind of shape things yeah. um on on my terms more yeah so when when you first got your diagnosis then i mean i look i look back at my own diagnosis and i think perhaps with it being a variety of symptoms taking so long to kind of um be actually formally diagnosed it might have been a bit more of a a route of acceptance perhaps that you kind of knew this might be happening whereas with me it was like you've got five years and it was clear as you know it was, it was just clear as light effectively that that was what i was what i had to to work with but in in your case then how did you deal with that i mean did you did you go excuse my french fuck it i'm going to just carry on and initially because the symptoms were more sporadic you just lived your life as normal to as much as uh, in as far as possible or honest truth is um complete bloody minded denial denial total denial for between five and seven years anila will know better um but i uh i you know to backtrack a little bit i i, I get rushed into hospital with a suspected brain hemorrhage um should have been dead assuming that their diagnosis was right it, it, i should but apparently i was you know i went from completely um you know incomprehensible unable to speak talk um you know bizarrely the only thing that i managed to say was something like um dead eccentric spanish architect and from that the doctors were able to go through the phone book on my phone and deduce that Anila, my wife, worked at the Scottish Parliament and were able to track her down. And like, you know, this is really grave. You need to be here now. Um, and I've, I found this all quite absurd because I felt fine and I thought I was talking to everyone, but words weren't forming. And... Uh, Instead of, you know, if it had been a brain hemorrhage, apparently I wouldn't be here. But I, I got up the next day and I was okay. Um, so it was a, a misdiagnosis. It was something else. But in the process of scans and lumbar punctures and all that stuff, they found out something else. And after this big episode where I'd gone into hospital, um, it left me with some weird symptoms down right side lack of feeling and, and various things which never went away but um it it kind of it kind of made me think i really don't know where things are going don't really know what's going on here don't have an answer but um god you really want to be you know working on someone else's terms for the rest of your life yeah, this sure. is the this is the opportunity to start shaping things and, and making a really good go of it and denying, simultaneously denying that something 
significant was going on. Um, but the reality is, as I was mountain bike guiding, you know, I started becoming aware of balance issues, lack of feeling and grip and cognitive, you know, fogginess. And, you know, I, I did have to eventually face facts that, you know, it was, it was, they were right, you know, there was something at work. Um, and, you know, stop putting the poor NHS through the ringer and check me for Lyme's disease and mercury poisoning and, you know, every other alternative that it could be, which it wasn't, you know, yeah. it is for us. Yeah, that acceptance. So then fast forward a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, the diagnosis is what it is. It's a degenerative disease, so there's no cure for it as such. You largely manage it um to a degree with riding and kind of homeopathic stuff rather than kind of going down the traditional medicine route is that is that right in saying yeah i mean i um i i think the nhs is an incredible incredible thing um but for me the the advice and the suggestions about you know the particular kind of therapies that i should be um getting involved in and accepting i just didn't feel comfortable mm. with the um with that um um so i do still um what's this 2022 so that's 15 years 15 years on um you know much to my neurologist's frustration respectful frustration um yeah i still manage it through what i eat and what i don't eat um activity exercise stress management um i'm maybe not as as religious and disciplined as 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 I could be, because I still will need to live. Will need to um, enjoy enjoy living. But certainly the the staples for me, um, low low stress, um, good eating, um, trying to stay active physically mm. and mentally, um, and. I, I, I have to put my hand up and say that there is one thing that's been a major bonus for me, which I, I prescribed something called Sativex, which is medical cannabis. And that, that helps a variety of unsavoury symptoms, just dulls them down a bit. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's good to hear. So, I mean, in terms of like your, um, like the status quo now, then in terms of riding, like what are like your triggers that, that really actually stop you from riding with with ms like what what do you find the um you know so, some of the kind of staples with with ms um fatigue which you know if if you've not suffered from fatigue it's it's uh it's quite a bizarre one when you can't physically hold the weight of your head um or your eyeballs or your eyelids so fatigue's pretty standard um cognition just inability to process things, um, lack of grip, sensation, you know, balance, stuff that you kind of really rely on on the bike. Yeah. Um, and and ironically, adrenaline, you know, any kind of stressor, whether it's caffeine, whether it's adrenaline on the bike, oh, really? these things can exacerbate yeah. the, the, the symptoms no end. So I have to pick and choose where I ride when, and what kind of riding I'm, I'm going to be able to do with a margin 
forever, yeah, you know. Sure. So I don't. I, I used to love the steeps, the techie, the slow, the steeper, the gnarlier, the better. But I, I, I'm more. It's more about just getting up a hill and being outside for me nowadays. Mm. And that's, you know, that's almost enough. I, to I, I totally get that. I think, you know, we, I talk about rider resilience and I'm always like, oh, you know, it's about the bike and getting out of the bike. But actually, you could rein it back and say, you know what, just get outside and uh, and do something not in the house and kind of take that that outside space is going to make a big difference. But I did read an article the other day that uh, basically said biking actually gives you more of that fulfillment because you do have to think about other things. So your mind is more engaged and you come away from that nearly more refreshed because the memories and the actions are like more profound. You've got to balance, you've got to break at the right time. All stuff that's super difficult to do, obviously, with, with, with your condition. But I thought it was interesting that it's, you know, you could go outside and go for a walk, but actually biking gives you that little bit more of a benefit, which is, uh, which is interesting. Absolutely. And, and I think for me, knowing Knowing a little bit about MS and, and my response, you know, everybody's MS is, is different. Um, understanding neuroplasticity and and the need to practice and habituate certain things, that forces the 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 mind, the brain to rewire. Yeah. And sometimes when you know you're just really not on it, it can just be as little as, as getting outside, getting up a hill. But some days when you're really feeling it, you're feeling good, um, you know, then you maybe want to take on something a bit, you know, a bit more involved, a bit chunkier. And then you get excited and then the tremors start and you're like, okay, I need to dial it back a little bit again for this next section. And it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating teacher. Yeah. It forces you to kind of, learn things about yourself, about triggers, um, and about life in general, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and be dynamic with it. Now, if you were to say to me, Andy's perfect ride now, if you said, okay, this afternoon, we're gonna go for a ride, you can choose any weather, any bike, you could do whatever you want, How, what would that look like now, given your condition, what, what's the perfect scenario? Okay, well, I hope we can, uh, can go and get a little taste of, of that at some point today. Um, I love where we live. We are spoiled rotten. I can literally just jump on the bike and, and straight out the back door. We're, we're surrounded by beautiful landscapes um, and maybe a couple of decent bits of single track too, you know. Um, I'm, I, I, I love being at home. You know, um, the riding here, you know, everybody knows. That. Everyone knows. The Everyone knows the, the Tree yeah. Valley yeah. is a, a mega yeah. location for riding bikes. So uh, that's that's why we, that's why we moved here about eighteen years ago to to the Scottish borders. Um, was instead of having to get in the car and travel for hours to get to our bike, and you know, fortunate to be able to just turn a key, go out the door and, and ride. And that's well before this area became as developed as, 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 it, as it is now, obviously, yeah. It's justifiably, you know, it's gone off. It's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And temperature-wise, and is this too warm, too cold, not on perfect? How does... This is, this is my favourite time of year because MS is very heat-sensitive. A lot of, a lot of my symptoms are, are, are really, you know, dependent on, on ambient temperature and core temperature from, from being active. Um, so autumn 
is my absolute favourite time of year. Summer, you know, it's not uncommon to find me hanging about in the supermarket, child, chilled freezer section, you know. <laughs> Just, Andy? He's got the peas yeah, in his arms. Like, you know, <laughs> I, it's, it's almost true. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of coming into my, my time of year. Yeah. Uh, I think it's fair to say people who know you, they know you as like an incredibly, incredibly positive person. Do you find yourself sometimes in a bit of a in a bit of a hole? Like, is there a, a different Andy to the Andy that people see, or do you always go, "I need to embrace humour and positivity," and that's kind of part of your coping strategy on a day to day basis? I mean, the honest truth is that um, I'm no different from you or 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 anyone else. Um, the probably the best person to ask is my wife Anila. She will tell you that I'm a miserable bastard. <laughs> Uh, but the but but the truth is that some days you just want a break from MS. You just you just don't want to be aware of it, of you know. Um, but ninety nine percent of the time, I I'd say I've got a pretty um, irreverent philosophy about MS, and I got a pretty decent attitude. But sometimes, you know, especially during the summer this year when it was really hot for us Scots, you know, um, it, uh, because you do want to be outside, you do want to be enjoying it, you want to be on your bike, you want to be seeing people, but you just can't get your brain and your body to operate, you know, and then, you know, the, the, it, it cools down a little bit and you're like, right, the button has been pressed, I'm going out, um, but, uh, my my attitude doesn't always hold, but I also I understand understand what's going on with me. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty quick to get back to a position where I'm, I'm I'm being philosophical and I'm managing it reasonably well. But I can't pretend that you know some days when you're having a flare up, you're like, am I going to come out of this? Mm. Am I going to be able to walk again? Mm. You know, um, I've been in my bed three days now. You know, when when is it going to, is it coming back? So, you know, sometimes you're trying to suppress that anxiety because you're like, this, I'm having a bad one, you know, yeah. right, what do I need to do here? I need to get a bit more discipline with my eating, stop drinking the beer, <laughs> you know, get, get in the cold showers and, you know, and it usually comes back, but I don't take that for granted. And I guess not taking things for granted is one of the, ironically, one of the biggest blessings of having something like this going on. It really forces you to think, wow, I've got it good. And and extract the goodness from what you do have. But, you know, like anyone, some days you're just like, oh, fuck it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When when you're down, if you've got those kind of episodes where you're bed bound, do, do you find that your mind wanders? Do you, do you worry about the future a lot then? Sort of like, well, I mean, you mentioned, yeah. Hopefully I'll bounce back. And, you know, with me, I, I, I know of situations where I've been like that. And I think it's all right. It's 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 a chemo cycle. I've got this routine. I know that this is a down day and tomorrow is a better day. But, you know, then you do find your mind wandering like, well, you know, actually, is this a sign of the treatment not working anymore? And perhaps we just switch things up. Does that do you find that can get you get you bogged down? I sometimes not just sometimes, probably quite frequently. I feel for Anila. Anila's, Anila's as strong as anyone I know, but she didn't, 
you know, we've been together 26 years and she didn't sign up for what she's got now. And I, if, I, if I worry about the future, if I worry about anything, it's probably more about her than me it's probably easier for me going through the vagaries of ms than it is for somebody watching um and uh when she sees a flare up or i'm having a bad day or week or whatever i can feel it weighing down on her you know is is this going to turn back around is this is this the start of something else um so I feel for her. Yeah, I, uh, I can completely relate to that. I think my other half is exactly the same, you know, rock solid. And then you can tell that actually they share your your own anxiety and you can see their mannerism effectively changing because they carry it as well and they've got the same worries, but they don't want to burden you with it and go, I'm really worried because they, they don't want to say, but you can kind of read it and, you know, they... It's not a competition, but I think their suffering is, 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 is often just as profound as our own. And that's something that we've kind of got to, got to take into account. No, absolutely. How, how do you feel, Nils, um, about, you know, Rider Resilience is an incredible initiative and you will build and are building an important movement. But how does it feel putting yourself in this position as editor, curator of something like that, given your own personal circumstances. In one way, you're, you're, you're using that space that you're occupying to, to drive this, but in another way, you're, you're, you're trying to sidestep and, 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 and be a curator, an editor, but the two things are so heavily intertwined. What does that feel like? Yeah, so it's a it's a very good question. I think, without a doubt, having this as a project, it, it gives my, it gives me um, clarity and headspace. It gives me something to focus on. So, I've always like our coping strategy at home um, in the last five years has been very much normality insofar as possible. So, to a large extent, my kids. They know that daddy's poorly, they know that daddy's got these weird plasters on his tummy and things like that, he's got a big scar, often goes to hospital. But they don't know the extent of kind of what's looming around the corner. And that's because we've had this kind of normality as a, as a coping strategy. Um, when I was recently told that actually, you know, uh, we, we all knew that the clock doesn't stop ticking. You get this diagnosis in the medical world. Yeah, there's some amazing success stories, but a lot of the time they do tend to be right. Um, and they said, you know, we need to start looking at a life expectancy of months rather than years. I, still, I th sort of thought, well, what do I really want to achieve? And over the years, I've been doing a bit of writing and a bit of photography about how much bikes have given me solace and actually given life back to me. And I've had so many people get in touch with me saying, like, this is so inspirational. And, you know, I've I was sat at home and it, the rain was lashing against the windows and I thought, what a rubbish day. And then I read this story about you and I thought, well, what am I doing here? I should get my riding kit out and go and ride. And I had the best days riding ever. I'm super thankful. And those messages, given the difficulty for me to process that situation, it gives me like instant gratification that I'm making someone's life better. And it just made me think, you know what? I am so happy to dedicate time to starting something like this that then if I'm making little ripples, 
if they can be amplified with people like you, people like Martin Ashton, people who very much get it and we can get the message out, it's a little thing, but it leaves a bit of a legacy. It means that actually I'm trying to, and it sounds really big, but trying to leave the world in a better place than I found it in my community and pay back to the community that's meant so much to me. Um, most of my friends, most of my good friends, we all ride mountain bikes and my whole life is kind of built around gravel and gravel and mountain bikes. So it's about, it's about giving back um, and selfishly as well about having a bit of, Bit of bit of a focus, something not to just sit in a corner and think, well, what's tomorrow hold? What's next month hold? What's two months away hold? I mean, you know, we've got a big film project in the pipeline, and sometimes I think, am I actually going to see it being launched? Who knows? But it's something to focus on, and it, and and that gives me, um, gives me a lot of strength, and it's needed. Like they say, well, you can do something. And I'm like, well, watch me turn this burner up over here and go the other way, and actually find more energy than I realised I had. Amazing. Yeah. So it's a very long answer. No, that's all where I'm at with it. It's amazing, and, yeah. and it's it, it's mirrored to some extent that sometimes when my head goes down, which it inevitably does, um, my little stoked on MS community, which is you know just there for me to rant and ramble and for other people to you know share experiences of what works for them what doesn't work, looking for advice, looking for inspiration. And and I I draw on that as much as I input to that little community. I, I, I if my head's down and I'm like, I'm not going out today or you know, somebody will say something about some new piece of research or something that's working for them and I'll look into it or or they'll just you know leave a message an email or something on the on the socials and it just gives you or I'll maybe see you saying something or doing something or or Kate O'Callaghan for yeah. example and it'll just be the little boost that I needed at that moment in time didn't even know I needed it but it'll be enough to turn my mindset around and also re-engage me and remind me that it's important to be, you know, stoked on MS is important, rider resilience is important, it's important to be creating platforms to allow communities to grow and develop and share, and share hope and solace and comfort and all these things. Um, and as you say, to, you know, try and, try and leave a corner of this world in better shape in some way than it than it perhaps was. Totally, and I think like <clears throat> obviously the backbone to ride resilience is is my cancer story, but I think there's so many elements to the bike where it can help people. And you know, one of the stories I really want to to document is like human displacement. There's people who are being forced to leave everything behind, move in their you know as a family, leave everything behind. Um, move as a family, not know anyone or anything. And if they then get access to like a bicycle, it gives them a form of independence. And it might even be that they can't ride a bike and they actually learn to ride a bike. Um, and I just think stories like that will also resonate with people who might not ride bikes at all. And, you know, perhaps think, well, what can I do? I'm going through some 
type of hardship, whether it's, you know, it could be depression or addiction or whatever, and they stumble across rider resilience and they're inspired enough to go, well, you know what, I'm going to get a bike and I'm going to just ride it twice a week. And they think, it makes me feel really good. I'm going to start doing that four times a week, five times a week. And then they go, well, you know what, I might as well leave my car at home. If I've got a car to commute, I'm going to, I'm going to ride to work. And suddenly they've benefited from it as an individual, but the world's benefited from it from an environmental point of view. And it's those like little snowball effects from like we start in a little seed and how far can that go? And that's kind of what excites me. It's like we don't just want to be telling stories about MS or cancer or, you know, grief or addiction. But let's talk about the wider story of the bicycle and how that can help people in all walks of life. Um, and the government attitude is changing as well. It'll take time, but they're prescribing cycling for people who are obese in small doses. But if we've got this inspirational platform that's really made, they can just say, well, go and have a look at this. Have a little read and you come away thinking, oh, that's really good. So for me, it's, yeah, that that's, I mean, gosh, I've got to sometimes rein myself in because I think the plans could be so big and there's only effectively me. Right now, it's about doing the basics and putting in place a con continuity plan or a contingency plan. Um, so there's enough of a team around us that actually things keep going. But yeah, I think um, telling these stories is important and finding key characters who, you know, it can bring a, it can bring a, an interesting view on things and just yeah make for an interesting listen I think will be will be really good um, and it has to be community driven people need to be like I'm going to share my story with this guy because actually I want to be able to tell that and I've had some people reach out to me where um, genuinely blown away by I mean a, a, a girl reached out recently and she was like I was working for the police um, in uh, it's like child protection, basically. And she saw some stuff which made her beyond depressed to the point where she was actually ready to take her life. And she, she, she nearly tried twice. Then discovered mountain biking through some friends and managed to ride out of that. Was riding mountain bikes, got really fit for six months, got really into it, and found a lump in her, in her breast. Um, so I had a breast cancer and had the whole treatment, stage three breast cancer. That finished, went into remission, lockdown happened, COVID happened, so it's two years of just being by yourself. And you look at that and what she's gone through, but now she's absolutely beaming. And she's reached out to me and we're like, these are the stories that we want to share because it just resonates so much. And it's interesting, it's everyday people who don't need to have famous people left, right and centre. It's everyday stories that can affect anyone. And we can take little pieces away from and think, you know what, this is... Uh, this is really inspirational, this is really good. And the, the things that we can do, I, I, I'm uncomfortable with the inspire word and inspirational and people generously use that around me and I'm completely ill at ease with that because I, I, I personally didn't set out on that mission. I just felt as though there, there was a story that, you know, because M MS is there's nothing pretty about MS, so there's and 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 everything that everybody that's diagnosed with it, all the stories and messaging around it and all the information has an inevitable slide into, you know, a fairly dark place. Whether it's 
blindness, whether it's immobility, whether it's can't swallow, bedridden. Um, and I, I just feel as though, you know, there's more stories than that. And there must be more people out there, you know, fighting this or, or, or living with this in, in particular ways that um, they're not just like given into it. Um, and it's it's been incredibly inspirational for me because, you know, I need that as much as I just want to shout about the frustrations and the and the revelations around MS. For me, I, I'm I, I'm also drawing on the information and the, you know, people are like, you know, I I was having such a bad day and I'm so glad I went out there and I did it or. Or I just, whatever you said on your random ramblings on Instagram, Andy, you just got me off my arse and it works. It. it works both ways. Um, and and it's, it is definitely a, a, a source of comfort to, to know that we're not alone in, in, in this. And whether it's MS, whether it's cancer, as you say, whether it's agoraphobia and just not getting outside or whether it's, you know, whatever form adversity is coming in for you, it's just amazing the commonality around, I got on a bike, you know, whether you're a newbie or you've been doing it all, you know, I got back on the bike and actually it did something important to me. Um, and sometimes I need that reminder. You know, sometimes I'm slipping, things think the walls are closing in, symptoms are flaring up and it's just so good to get that reminder and you're like, I'm going, I'm going, I don't care, I don't care what it looks like, I might be tripping and stumbling and staggering about a mountain like a drunk, but I'm not, you, you can send your helicopter back home guys, I'm fine. Um, but yeah, the bike is, the bike is important for so many of us. Well, what you won't see on this video obviously is that you know, prior to us starting to record, we were having a bit of a play with the uh, with the log burner. We've made it about forty five degrees in this uh, in this little bothy. And the problem with that is that obviously it's one of your kind of like uh, big uh, factors that f makes your MS flare up. So I mean, it's it's funny because I'm I'm even aware of it right now, Nels. Heat is like my kryptonite. Heat, whether it's ambient temp room temperature or whether it's through exercising. But that wood burner, that stove, now that it's cooling down, it feels like somebody's flicked a switch because now my brain and my mouth are synchronising in a way 10 minutes ago they weren't. Oh, yeah. It's really bizarre because yeah. I feel quite, quite euphoric all yeah. of a sudden and that's temperature change. Yeah. So peculiar, man. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Andy, I think we've covered a lot of great ground there. It's nice to have a chat and uh, we'll continue you know, with a bit of a ride out a bit later on. But yeah, thank you for, for having us here and welcome us to your, to your house and uh, and dedicating your time to have a bit of a chat. It's been been, been great. We'll put some links as well um, to, you know, the stuff that you're working on in terms of uh, Stoked on MS and the groups and things like that in the description so that people can check that out and uh, we'll keep spreading the word. Great to see you. Thank, thank you. you. That kind of bookends the, uh, the Ride It Out episode number two. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm hopeful that the third one will be two weeks from now. Um, we've got some irons in the fire for some pretty awesome interviews. And um, yeah, it will hopefully be just as inspirational as today's chat. And look forward to seeing you then. All right, take care.
will roll the outro. Yeah.